after the service, we were discussing some things and David encouraged everyone to speak when it was time for them to speak and to not be hesitant about it. During all of that, the question was asked, what about women speaking in churches? And I went back and talked to the questioner and asked permission of God and so that's what I'll be speaking on today is the role of women in the church. In another church, I've taught that subject for 22 years. So I feel like I I know what God said about it but I'm very much aware too that the subject can be very touchy to some people and that it can easily offend people. It's one of those issues that when God lined it out that we've gotten away from it. And so being that I've repeated over and over that Jesus said he came in the 18th chapter of John in verse 37 to this end and for this cause that he might bear witness unto the truth. So the only thing I can do in clarifying that question is to give you what God said is the truth. Now somebody has accused me and rightly so, I have no problem with it, of not cutting enough people enough slack. But I feel about it this way. I know I cut my slack, and I expect you to cut yours too. So I know what God says about a lot of things, but then still I live the best I can based on what I know. And I expect that to happen too. But then if I go in there and I cut slack off the top, then you start at an unreal place. So I feel obligated to tell you the truth of God's word and what he said, and then you find your place in that. Because you see, inevitably, and at the end, it's all going to be between you and God anyhow. Because all I can do is remind you of what he said. I've said this before, and I'll remind you before I start this, that all I can do is put things in your mind. I cannot teach you anything, because there are things I will put in your mind that you will walk out and not believe. So it's not my job to teach you. My job is to bring things to your mind like it said in the 28th chapter of Matthew. And then the Holy Spirit teaches you. It tells you what the truth is and what the truth is not. So we'll start this morning and see where we go. This is a a pretty good subject. It'll probably take two or three Sundays for me to cover. But it's something that needs to be talked about because people do have questions. They have been taught all sorts of things, 
and I'd like to bring them back to the truth if I could. But like I said, it is a discussion that at times can offend. And I'm not going to apologize for offending if I'm sharing with you the truth of God's Word. The position of women in the church is a spiritual authority thing. Not many people consider spiritual authority nowadays. It's not talked about. But it is very much alive from Genesis to Revelation in our Bible. And God speaks of it often. And also the position of a woman in relationship to the man in the church. So we'll start today in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. Or chapter 14, but chapter 3 and verse 14 of Genesis. It all started out in the garden. In verse 14, after the sin had taken over Adam and Eve, verse 14, And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now look, please understand something. Satan was not a serpent when he beguiled Eve. If you remember, Satan at that time was the best looking angel there was. Maybe some of you remember that song by Terry Gibbs that talks about she had heard about Satan but she never dreamed that he would have blue eyes and blue jeans. Now that's the way Satan approaches us in whatever way we least expect it. And he wants us to have a good attitude about who he is so he'll do what we tell him, what he tells us to do. And that's the way he approached Eve. But because of it, God put a curse on him and turned him into the shape of a serpent, of a snake, and made him crawl in the dust on his belly on the ground. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, or he shall bruise thy head, Jesus will, and thou shalt bruise his heel. He said, oh, Satan, you will bruise Jesus' heel, but he'll bruise your head. Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow or pain shalt thou bring forth children. He put pain in woman's childbirth. And thy desire, this is the part that nobody says much about, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. Thy desire shall be, he cursed the woman, with, you will want to rule your husband. 
and he shall rule over thee. Now understand something. Before Eve introduced sin into the world, there was no need for authority. There was no need that one person should have the final say simply because there wasn't any disagreements. With sin came disagreements. With disagreements into the world, God had just created a committee of two, a man and his wife. A committee of two doesn't work because you have ties. So when two people disagree about something and can't reach an agreement, there's a constant argument. And so because of that, God gave the rule of the marriage over to the husband. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Now, because of that happening with Eve and Satan, the curse was threefold. Part of the curse was put on the earth, part of the curse was, or fourfold, part of the curse was put on Adam, part of the curse was put on Eve, and part of the curse was put on Satan. Now think for a moment, if you will, it says that God created Adam first and then he created all the animals next. And it said he brought each animal he created to Adam for Adam to name him. Now how long that would take, I don't know. I don't know how long Adam lived here on this earth alone before Eve was created. But during that time, apparently, Satan made no attempt whatsoever to tempt Adam. Here comes along Eve, and Satan approaches Eve to try to get her to cave in to destroy this relationship that the two of them have with God. Now there's something you need to understand too. God told Adam not to eat of the tree. Then he created Eve. No record of God ever telling Eve not to eat of the fruit. Adam told Eve not to eat of the fruit. So initially when Eve chose to sin, she was actually disobeying Adam. God, yes, eventually, but initially Adam. And so, like I've said before, when Adam approached Eve, he had to know something had happened because everyone who has ever walked with God and Adam and Eve walked with God, they glowed. When Jesus was on the mount in the presence of God, he glowed. 
When Moses came down off the mount, he had to put a covering over his face because he scared the Israelites to death because he glowed. Well, when Eve sinned, her light went out. And Adam had to see that. He knew what was going on. And then she enticed Adam with the same verbiage probably that Satan used with her to get her to to eat of the fruit. And Adam, knowing better, chose to go with his wife instead of being obedient to God. And this was the big move. I mean, Eve, you maybe could have given her an excuse, but Adam, he had no excuse for what he did. And he knew when he went with Eve and sinned that he was moving away from God. That was the reason for the curse on him. Adam wasn't fooled. He knew what he was doing. He knew better. He chose Eve rather than obedience. Now the point that I'm trying to make now, and we'll, if you will, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But while you're going there, listen to me. What we'll read next is about creation. It's not about the husband and the wife. It's not about a wife's submission to her husband. It's about a wife's submission to the men in her life. A woman's submission to the men in her life. It's about the creation. It's not about two people marrying and the man having the rule over his wife. Now there's something I want to say about that too. As I said before, because God gave the rule of the committee of two, the marriage, to the man, doesn't put the wife in a second class position. That's not what it's about. The term here is a military term. And it's not about being first place or second place. It's about being in your place or out of your place. And that's what God is concerned with is that men and women, everything he created being in their place. And we all have a place. There's a lot of people now that have so much pride they don't like to talk about their place or being in their place. But God has a place for everyone. And it's our responsibility out of reverence to Him to be where He calls us to be. So to keep down squabbles, He gave the rule of a marriage over to the husband. Now what I've learned, and wives, listen to me please. When a man gets a little too bossy, and he will, we need to understand it's usually because he probably doesn't feel like he's got any authority to start with. Maybe he does. But when he gets bossy, 
Without a word, it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, a woman can turn him around. But there's nothing like a man who is a husband, take it personally from this husband, when you insist on having your way and find out that your way is a wreck, and when the wife looks at you like, I did what you wanted me to do, and this is what resulted from it. That's where we find ourselves a lot of times, husbands, so you be real careful before you use too freely this authority that God has given you just to keep down trouble. So we see that there is an authority structure set up in the world so far between the husband and the wife. Now look at at chapter 11, I'm sorry, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, starting at chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, there is three chapters there, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is about spiritual gifts, Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is about love and the definition of love. Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is about tongues, about the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And I'd like to draw your attention to something. In 14, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians and, cha- and verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. So, chapter 14 is about the gift of tongues, okay? Turn, if you will, to verse 37 of the same chapter 14. It says, If a man think himself to be a prophet, that's another gift, or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Now this that I'm speaking about is from direct commandment of God himself. So then go back. We see that the whole chapter is about tongues from start to finish. In verse 34 of chapter 14, it said, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. Now that is the one place that I know in Scripture where women are commanded not to speak in church. And it is concerning tongues. Women are commanded by God 
not to speak in tongues in the church. In verse 35 it says, And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. It's a shame for her to speak in the church in tongues. If a woman will learn anything about tongues, let her ask her husband at home. Don't bring it up at your church. What came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? He said, are you trying to tell me that you know better than I know? God said. Judge the thing that these come as commandments of God. The only place the question was asked, what about women speaking in church? The only place that I know so far, I'm still learning, that where God commands a woman not to speak in church is in speaking in tongues. Now, I don't know how well you know about what's going on. It's like I said before, I have been encouraged to get involved in tongues all my adult life, just about. And God has not called me into it. And until he does, I won't be involved with it. But, most of the churches that I am familiar with, most of my friends who are involved in the tongues movement, the one question you can ask and ask them is in your church are women involved in speaking in tongues? And the answer is always, oh yes. And I have asked the question, well, are the men involved in the tongue movement also? And in a lot of times they say no. So in a lot of churches it's only done among the women. And God has commanded that women not speak in tongues aloud in the church. If you would turn back to chapter 11, a couple of three pages back to your left, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 1, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. Be ye followers of me, Paul says, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances or traditions as I delivered them unto you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Now there is an authority structure. It goes from the top rank down to the bottom rank of the creation of those that have been created. 
God is at the top. He is the only one that Jesus has got over him. And he is over Jesus. And Jesus is over us as men. And the men are over the women, or the head of the women. Now, if you look up that word head in Bible dictionaries, you find that the definition of head is... Let me find it. To stand out or to be prominent. So what it's saying is that in God's plan of creation that the man has the prominence over the woman in God's creation. Now we'll see later that there is a respect involved here. There is a verse that I call the secret to the marriage. It's in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33 where it says, I would then that a man love his wife even as himself. And I would that the woman reverence her husband. Now let me show you that again. I would that the man love his wife as himself and the woman return that love to her husband with her reverence toward him. Now there's an interesting thing about that. Behavioralists have learned, and it is, it's confirmed all over, that men get their fulfillment from the marriage relationship by being respected by their wives. Women get their fulfillment from their marriage relationship by being loved by their husband. But you see what I find that happens, and we've seen it over and over, and in spending 20-something years studying this and dealing with it, you see that what happens, that a woman, because love is what turns her on, a woman wants to give her husband love. A man, because respect is what turns him on, wants to give his wife respect. So what we've got is a man and his wife with a man giving his wife respect and the wife giving her husband love. And we find out that in a lot of cases, this doesn't work. The thing that God says works better than anything else is for the man to love his wife with all his heart and soul and his mind and for a wife to respect or reverence her husband. And this is the thing that gives fulfillment to each one of the marriage partners. But because we know what fulfills us, we tend to want to give that to other people. If you take a little child out to buy him a birthday present for one of his his buddies, what does he do? He buys his buddy something he'd like to play with himself, right? And that's what we do 
his marriage partners, if we are not born again and we don't know the scriptures and understand those scriptures. And sometimes it won't wind up working. But if we know as Christians, as born again believers, what God has said is the secret to a happy marriage, we can make it work. But with that being said, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Now, there is a structure here, an authority structure that doesn't have to do with marriage. It has to do with the creation. Now listen to what the Word says. Verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, praying or preaching, having his head covered dishonors his head. A man is not to pray or preach with his hat on. Some of these cowboy churches I've reminded, some of these cowboy preachers, they need to be taking their hat off to preach. And some of them disagree with me. I won't preach with a hat on my head because of this right here. It dishonors my head before God. It's something God doesn't like. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now let me explain. Next verse. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Now you know, most of you know, I'm quite sure, that in the Catholic church, the Catholic women will not go in a church without something over their head. They've got things that are created just for that, little doily things that they pin in their hair. A lot of them go with veils pulled over their head like a shawl. But they will cover their head going in a church because their tradition upholds this that they say that it's their way of showing God that they are attempting to live under the the authority that they have been placed under. What authority? Well, look at what it says next. Verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. The woman was created for the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. You remember Eve was created from a rib that God took out of Adam. He created Eve for Adam. So she's created for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Now look, that is a verse right there that turns everybody back. Let me explain. For this cause. For what cause? What it said before. That a man was created before the woman was created and as a general rule, God intends for the man to be the head of the woman in our society, in our population, not just limited to marriage, but totally. 
A woman respects her position as being second in command as far as, as, as her gender is concerned. And also because she sinned. Now, she's the first sin. But let me see this. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angel. The angels they're talking about here is Satan's angel. Now you know I've said before, the Bible does not differentiate between one angel and another. You've got to look at the context to see whether he's talking about the demons, Satan's angels, or whether they're God's angels. In this case, it's the demon, the Satan's angels. Because of Satan's angels, she needs to have authority on her head. Now, what most of the Catholic women are taught is this. When I show publicly that I am under the submission to the men in my life, then Satan doesn't target me for being rebellious. When I get in public and I act like I'm rebellious to the authorities that God has placed over me in my life, Satan puts a target on my back. You say, where'd you come up with that? You remember 1 Peter where it says Satan and his, his, his disciples, his demons, roam about looking for someone they can devour. Now, I don't know how many of you remember that little Sunday afternoon United Kingdom or whatever it was where they showed all the little African animals, you know. And the lion is laying in the bushes and he's, you know, there's 50 million antelope out there in a big group. And there's one little antelope behind the, the herd and he's limping like that. He's put a target on his back, people. I mean, there is no teenage antelope that would tell his mama, I think I'm going to go to the tail end of the herd and act like I'm hurt real bad just for fun. Because the lion will pick him. They always pick the weakest of the group. Now, like I said, the ladies who know this, this ideology right here, will do something in the way of appropriateness to allow other people to know that they're in their place. That they're where they're supposed to be. That they recognize that God's authority is supreme and as it comes on down the chain of command that they follow and submit themselves to those that God has placed over them. With the idea that this verse right here gives, that when you are in your place of protection, God has prepared a place for each one of us to be in their place of protection. Men too. When men get, what does it say in, in Proverbs? A man who cannot control his own spirit is like a city without walls, he's got no protection. So when a man starts acting a certain way, 
that shows he's rebellious, Satan attacks him especially because he knows he's out from under his protection. He's not being protected at the moment because he's sinning and God is not giving him protection. That's the issue here about the woman. When she acts like in public that she is out from under the protection of her husband and for that matter other men. The gentleman effect where men for years have looked after ladies. Ladies they don't know. If a woman's in a jam, a man stops to help her. If she breaks down on the road, a man usually will be the one to stop and help her get her car back going. Doesn't know her, never seen her before in his life, but men consider that the thing to do. And women, godly women, of course, have learned over the years to depend on that. So for this cause, why? Because the man has been placed over the woman in, in this thing of authority. She ought to have authority on her head because of the angel. Now look, I'll go down another verse. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. As far as Jesus is concerned, Galatians chapter 3 and verse Verse 28 says we all come to Jesus the same way, and we do. But once we get to Jesus, we're in different places. For as the woman is of the man, even so is a man also by the woman, but all things are of God. I mean, you can make that argument either way. But wait a minute. If the man was created first, that's one vote for him. But wait a minute. The next man can't be created without the woman. So that's another vote for her. That's what Paul, the arguments he's making here. Judge in yourselves. Now here's the place that Paul uses common sense. He's using common sense to make a point with us. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Now, I'm going to change that word uncovered to inappropriate. Now let me say this, and this is where, this is where people, young man came to me not long ago. He was a leader in a church and he said something to somebody that came because of the way they were dressed, and it started the biggest ruckus you've ever seen. I'm going to change uncovered to inappropriate. God expects his ladies to deal with themselves in public in an appropriate way to convince at least Satan's demons that they're in their place of protection and Satan won't try. You see, Jesus prayed in the 17th chapter of John back to his father that, that God would keep us away from Satan, not the other way around. Because our tendency is to go that way. And it gets down to the point of this, people, 
God wants His children to be accepted by the public as people who are in their place of protection. When we act inappropriate, when men act inappropriate in public, when women act inappropriate in public, or look inappropriate in public, because this up here was what it was wrong. See, what I need to show is talking about in those days, the tradition was that if women were uncovered, they might as well be shaved or shorn. Now, shorn is short hair. And shaved, you know what a shaved head woman would look like. Well, the temple prostitutes shaved their head, and the professional prostitute cut their hair short. And so that's what he's talking about. When a woman comes to church, and she looks like someone who is, has a bad reputation, it's an embarrassment to God. He says down here that it be, should be a shame to us. Does not even nature itself teach you, he said, that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? God didn't command long or short hair except for the Jews. You see all these pictures of Jesus with long flowing hair down around his shoulders. Jesus didn't wear his hair that way. My brother had to explain it to me. I said, well, why then in all these beautiful pictures has he got long hair? He said, because the men who paid for the pictures being painted told the painter that's the way they want him to look. And he, he, he drew him that way. That's the way they wanted him to look because they thought he had long hair. But the Jews cut their hair a specific way. They still do. You see pictures of New York Jews. They still got their hair cut down to a little bit below their ears. And that's the way Jesus wore his because he was an Orthodox Jew. He did not have long hair. And it says here that nature should tell us that when a man wears long hair, it ought to be a shame to him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for covering. So I've seen ladies with long hair that went and got a, a new short do, you know. And I asked them, whoa, you done had your glory cut off. <laughs> but it's amazing to me the way long hair looks on some ladies. I'll just tell you the truth now. I mean, it's, 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 to me it's beautiful. But it says in verse 16, but if any man seem to be contentious, do you know what contentious means? <laughs> the Bible dictionary says contention is stirring up trouble. If somebody wants to stir up trouble about how long or how short women's hair is, Paul says we have no such custom as Christians, neither the churches of God. So Paul has established the precedent right there that in the churches of God, 
Long hair, short hair is not an issue. But, he says, shouldn't nature itself teach you that it's supposed to be long hair on a woman and short hair on a man? That's the way it is. And some ladies choose to do that for their covering so they can say that they're doing everything they can do to live under protection without Satan have to attack them. It's a symbol of authority. That's one of the definitions in my Bible, this particular Bible I'm studying, is that a woman's attitude, her looks, her demeanor, her humbleness, all of that is what I call covered. When she acts appropriately in the church. That is the thing that God is concerned about. Now the question was asked, what about women speaking in church? Brother David had just encouraged people to speak up when God gave them something to say. Now there is much more concerning this thing of women living under the authority that God has created for them. And I'd like to to finish it off because there are several other issues, even to widows and stuff like that, that God has got, that he says special about the ladies. But what I'm trying to say to you this morning, ladies, that I believe that what God is telling me to tell you is this. And I'm not dodging anything. You've seen just what he had to say about the matter. But what I'm saying to you is this. When you speak up in the church, when you speak up in an humble fashion, when you speak up knowing that God has given you something to say. Because see, if God gives you something to speak out in the church and you don't speak out, then you cheat the rest of us out of it. We don't know what God wanted to be said because you didn't say it. So it's very important in this church at least that when God asks you to speak up, you speak up. There's a way to be appropriate. There's a way to handle it right and there's a way not to appear like your 16th or chapter, verse 16 of chapter 6 of Proverbs where it says there are six things that God hates yea there are seven that are abomination to it. And the first thing on his hate the first thing on God's hate list is a proud look. And that I think There's two things that God is very, very serious about in His Word as to differentiate between the ladies and the men. And one is the way you look. God does not want men 
to be mistaken for ladies or ladies mistaken for men. And please understand, I've said this before, pants is not men's dress. It was designed, pants were first designed for women. So when somebody jumps you like they've jumped me, a group of deacons come to your house and don't want your wife wearing jeans. They don't understand. So what I'm trying to say, God intends for a girl to look like a girl and a boy to look like a girl. I've got a boy. That's something that he does not play with. So if you're a girl, look like a girl. If, I, if you're walking down the street and I can't tell you a girl, you need to change something. And if you're walking down the street and you don't look like a boy, you need to change that too. Because God wants us to be identified. And it's very important with Him. And when a Christian is in public and making something known of what they say, or what they talk about. God intends for people, everybody, to look like they're in the place that God has prepared for them to be. And as long as people conduct themselves in a church, women and men, in a way that God does not consider inappropriate, well, then as far as I'm concerned, you're okay in this place. But I encourage you like David did last week, please, please, the only commandment not to speak in a church is dealing with tongues. But God does say that He wants us to be in our place when we conduct ourselves publicly. And that's not asking too much of anybody. We expect each other to act that way because of our testimony to other people. Let's pray. Father, we've gotten to a place in the world you know better than any of us where nobody's got respect for anybody. They've got no respect for themselves. They've got no respect for who they are or where they are or what they look like or what they say or what they do. So Lord, give us, please, the spirit of respect so that we might not only respect ourselves, and the position that we have climbed to with you as a born-again believer with the characteristics of the gifts of the Spirit, with love and humbleness and a lack of pride and no contention. Lord, teach us to conduct ourselves in a way that you approve of. And for this, we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.